Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading today is from St. Matthew, chapter 26, beginning at verse 57 on page 997, sorry, on page 1007 in the Church Bibles. Matthew, chapter 26, verse 57. Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Jesus, who who hit you? Peter disowns Jesus. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, 
a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Judas hangs himself. This is from chapter 27, which follows on. Judas hangs himself. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it's being called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the law commanded. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Daphne. Well, it's been a funny week in the news, uh, certainly uh, for the last seven days, from my perspective. Look for an out after weeks of warfare. And here it comes. Last Sunday, the news wires go into overdrive about something a little bit lighter. The Oscars, the big film awards. There's actor Will Smith, and he slapped comedian and host for the night Chris Rock after Rock made a rude comment about Smith's wife, Jada Pickett-Smith. Now, Smith subsequently apologized uh, uh, to the audience at the ceremony um, uh, as he went to receive his Oscar. He's now actually resigned his membership. Um, And everyone uh, in the world media wanted to give their own take on this. Was this uh, an ill-judged but somehow understandable attempt to preserve the honor of his family, stick up for his wife? Uh, Was it a symptom of a particular type of machismo, a toxic belief that violence will sort out any conflict? And then there were all the people who, if you have time to uh, listen to, you can find many of them, who are weaving the event into a decades-long narrative that goes sort of via Will Smith's autobiography and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and sort of weaves it all into some very clever story, which I don't fully follow. Anyway, the point is this. It was almost like, after so much overwhelming, real injustice in our news, after so much real suffering, the world now suddenly saw an opportunity to get punch drunk on a bit of celebrity gossip, trial by media, as an escape. Why did we zero in on it so much? I guess partly because it just wasn't actually that bad. There's a sore cheek on one side, there's bruised pride, 
and a bit of disciplinary action on the other, but they're going to be okay. And so it draws us in, and we feel perhaps we could use this event to explore some big questions for ourselves. We wonder, how should we respond to insult? What's a good way to stand up for our family and those whom we love? And what happens if we lose it? What happens if we lose it in a really public situation? Do we get grace for what we've done wrong or, or should we be punished? Well, whatever the exact answers to those questions for an offended celebrity at an awards show, this trial by media is a very striking backdrop, isn't it, to the trial that we have just read of. It's that trial in the next part of our journey through the final hours of Jesus' life, as told in the Gospel of Matthew. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, do catch up uh, online on YouTube or the podcast. The Oscars are an extraordinary contrast to what we read in the story of Jesus' trial. Jesus has has had this barrage of twisted accusations. And then we read verse 62 of chapter 26. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. I said another trial. Actually, I want to suggest that there are three trials in this passage, and we're going to walk through them together this morning. First, the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, then Peter's trial in the courtyard, and then finally the trial of Judas and his handlers at the temple. And I use the word trial in the loosest sense, but I think it's still a good word, because each of these encounters helps zero in on a verdict about Jesus. The first trial asks this question, do you know Jesus Christ as God the Savior? The second one asks the question, can you own Jesus Christ as friend? And then the third, can you value him above all this earth affords? And I'm praying that as Matthew draws us into those encounters, we'll have cause to deepen Uh, our understanding of all of those questions and an answer to each one. So here we go. Trial number one. It asks this question, do you know him? Do you know Jesus as God the Savior, divine Savior? And you know, I think there there are a few questions that are more important for us to ask than that one. Do you know who Jesus is? Now to answer it, I'm going to ask you to just... Bear with me for a moment. You need a fair bit of concentration. I think it's going to be worth it. Uh, we're going to start to, with a little bit of background here. So Judas, the, the betrayer, he has uh, been sent out with a couple of fixers by the chief priests. They found Jesus and they brought Jesus back to the chief priests. And so verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Now, it's a strange trial. On one hand, it's kind of quite underhand. It's night, after all. That's what you do when you don't want anyone to notice. But then there's quite a bit of insistence on due process. You know, we've got to get the evidence right. Uh, Only the governor, Pilate, could actually give the death sentence. So perhaps the Jewish authorities were just trying to amass the evidence they needed to get 
the verdict and the outcome they wanted. So verse 59 tells us, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. And then we're told, finally, two Two witnesses came forward. And that's really important. The Jewish law says you you couldn't make an accusation stick unless there were two witnesses. And they say, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And so here you get your first pointer. This is that first pointer to who Jesus is, God the Savior. It's a really good start for, for these authorities. They're trying to incriminate Jesus. And he said these potentially devastating sacrilegious words. You've got to think your mind into that of the Jewish leaders. There's the temple. It's this divine place given for people to encounter God. They've received it and all the rituals that they perform in it, all of that they've got from God. And now Jesus apparently has said he's going to destroy it. Well, he must be eliminated. Now, the thing is, Jesus had not threatened to disassemble the actual building. In that sense, it it was a misinterpretation of Jesus' words. But he had suggested that he was the new temple. He'd said that we would be able to encounter God no longer in particular bricks and mortar, whether it's that temple or indeed this building, but directly in him, in Jesus. And it's still true. We don't need an institution We don't need a building to access the presence of God. We can meet God in Jesus. And in that one sense, already, he is God the Savior. But that's only one aspect of Jesus' identity here. So bank that one. Let's keep going. The next pointer as to who he is comes in verses 62 to 63. And it comes not in the words that Jesus says, but actually in his silence. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What's this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Now, if you've been following Matthew's gospel, perhaps you've had a chance to read it over Lent as well. You'll know that Matthew loves his Old Testament. And he loves to bring out the parallels. And I think he he focuses on Jesus' silence here really deliberately because he wants to connect Jesus with another famous figure that his audience would have known about, the suffering servant of the book of Isaiah. Here are a couple of verses from the book of Isaiah. Just listen to this and think Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He did not open his mouth. Do you see why Matthew wants us to see this detail about Jesus' silence? He wants to say, Jesus is, he's that guy. Jesus is the long-awaited suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy. And that means all the other stuff about the suffering servant applies as well. For example, the verse that comes just before the one I just read, verse 6 of Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a picture of what Jesus is about to do. God's going to take our iniquity, our sin, all all that we deserve for going our own way. 
And he's going to lay it on Jesus. It's another aspect of this God, the Savior. He's the new temple. He's the suffering servant. But what else? Well, there's more. Stick with it. Next, Jesus accepts the title of Messiah, Son of God. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 64, Jesus says, you have said so. Messiah. Now, Messiah, that means um, anointed by It's what they call the kings of Israel in the Old Testament times. And so Jesus is saying, yes, I'm a king too. But even that doesn't cover it because then Jesus adds another title. So this is what he replies. After saying, you've said so, he says, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. If you've ever watched one of those apocalyptic movies, you get a bit of a sense of what's going on here. It's another Old Testament reference. The Son of Man is this fearsome figure. He appears in the book of Daniel. He comes on the clouds. He comes to to judge at the end of times. Now, I don't want to overload you this morning. Apologies if I already have. But I hope you get a sense of what Jesus is doing here. It's kind of like he's drawing together the whole of Scripture. All the great figures of Israel's history. And he's saying all those hopes and expectations are met in him. It's like saying, I'm the king. I'm the president. I'm the captain. I'm the head. I'm the ultimate authority. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. And so on and so on and so forth. Name the title. I'm that. I'm all of these things. And I'm more than all of these things. All your spiritual, all your religious expectations, everything that you need saving from, That can scarcely capture who I am. Now, make up your minds. Who do you say I am? So it's an extraordinary moment here. It's a moment, if you think about it, laden with irony. Here are the teachers of Israel. And they've put the son of man in the dock. They've put the judge of the world on trial. They are judging the judge of the world. And the judge of the world is going to judge them for what verdict they bring on him. But they think it's the other way around, that they get to decide. And what will they decide? Perhaps he is the savior. Then again, if none of this is true, then all his pretensions are an insult against God. What will they decide? Well, the high priest looks at all of this. And he tears his clothes. It's blasphemy. He's absolutely sure. This is an insult. His accomplices similarly say, Jesus is worthy of death. But why are we being told this whole story? Well, I think what Matthew wants us to do is, as it were, take our pew quietly in the corner of that courtroom. And he asks us, what do you think? What do you think? You know, this for me is the most important thing that we can do as a church and as Christians. To invite every person we know to make a decision about who Jesus is. To ask, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? 
as God the Savior. Don't worry. Don't worry too much. Don't focus too much on our lovely building and all our wonderful gear and all the lovely people, even though you are lovely people, and all the things that we put on. Don't worry about the preacher, definitely. But what do you think about Jesus? How do you make sense of him, of all the things he said and did? And I hope that, oh, I think this is true now, but I hope that it will always be true, that we as a church are just those people who long to share with those around us the account of this man's life, of Jesus' life, to provide others an opportunity to come and see him, to know him as God the Savior. And you know, I think I, I want to take this morning particularly to just acknowledge um, our huge appreciation for the amazing team who've been uh, working away on our Alpha and Christianity Explored courses, week in, week out. Amazing opportunity, constantly going on for people to come, ask this question for themselves in a really open environment. Thank you to all you who've prayed for it, because I know there's some big prayers in this church family. God is really at work through that, helping people come to answer that question for themselves. And I wonder, actually, perhaps I can say that this morning, whether there's anyone else here this morning who just feels that the Lord is putting it on their heart to step up and lead an Alpha course, to be one of those who bring together a couple of friends. Um, and you, you don't have to know all the answers. You can get someone else in if you like. But to bring that question to those whom we love. Do you know Jesus as God the Savior? So that's the first one. Don't worry, the next two are going to be shorter. Okay, that's trial number one. Trial number two, can you own him as friend? Can you own him as friend? Now, we know this story. It's the continuation of the story of Peter's denial. Do you remember Jesus had previously told Peter and the disciples that they'd all desert him? And Peter was horrified at that thought. He loved Jesus. And he said, no, that's absolutely not going to happen. And so, verse 69, we get to Peter sitting out in the courtyard. He's, he's come to follow, see what happens with Jesus. And a servant girl comes to him and says, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, it's, you know, it's a bit too much to handle there. So he sort of moves around to another part of the, of the gathering, goes to the gateway. There's another servant girl who sees him there. says, this, this, girl, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denies it again and he swears, I don't know the man. And then there are some other people who've been watching this all going on. Uh, and they, they've been looking at him, definitely. And they, they stand up, they go to Peter and say, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he begins to call down curses on himself. I don't know the man. And then the cockerel crows. And then he remembers Jesus' words. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he goes outside and weeps. Now, here's the thing. Peter is famously known as the first one to get who Jesus is right. I don't know whether you remember this back in Matthew chapter 16. Peter's the one who says, you're the Christ. Great. Well done, Peter. But that's just the start. Now, the question is, will you own Jesus as friend? Will you say, I was with him? And the way Matthew writes it, you can sort of feel him asking us the same question. You know, can you own Jesus as friend? 
You know, I'm sure it's definitely true for me. I'm sure it's been true for you that there are friends and family of yours around whom you, you just haven't felt able to be honest about your faith. And at those challenging moments, it, it would seem easier just to keep quiet. Your Matthew challenges us, though. He says, say it. Say, I am with Jesus. I'm with Jesus, even if that would cost me something now. You know, those moments when our reputation at work or our reputation at school might suffer, those moments where we feel like we're quite out of step with the world in which we live, those moments, any moment where we get the equivalent of of that loaded, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, were you not? Can we own him as friend? Can we own him as friend? And then finally, the third trial, do we value him? Do we value him above earthly riches? So Matthew takes us in this final scene to the last moments of Judah's life. And it's a strange and dark story. First of all, though, we get some astonishing surprises. We get uh, Judas's regret. Matthew 27, verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. That's what they'd paid him. Now, as we read later, tragically, Judas comes to a a very sad end. He takes his own life. Did he or or did he not get past that remorse? Perhaps he got past it to to repentance, restoration. we're, We're not told. It's not for us to speculate. But what does stand out really clearly in this moment, and this is really strange, is that Judas is the one telling the truth. Did you notice that? I have sinned, he said. I have betrayed innocent blood. Now, you know a story's gone pretty bad if it's the betrayer who ends up being the only one who is telling the truth. And yet, so it is here. The authorities, they're looking for false witnesses. Peter lies to the servant girl. And Judas, Judas alone says it like it is. Jesus is innocent. But the focus of this whole scene, I think, is all about those coins. Money. Something we exchange that have worth. And they tell us how much Judas and the teachers of the law had valued Jesus at. Verse 9 tells us, Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Now, we could spend a long time on this. Don't worry, we're not going to. Let me just give you a basic idea of what's going on here. 30 pieces of silver, it appears in various places in the Old Testament. It's a really small sum of money. And the point is, it gets paid to the prophets as a sort of sign of how much God is valued. So there's this key moment in Zechariah where God says, look, You paid my prophet 30 pieces of silver. Do you think that's what I'm worth? That's what Matthew's saying. You've set the price of Jesus at 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus is the most valuable thing this life affords. We are actually better off without anything else, but still with him. You know, it's, it's a long journey to get there. And goodness knows, I've got a long way to go on that. And I'm sure all of us have. But that's the truth. 
in this church, you'll be able to look around you and find people who have discovered that in amazing ways. People who continue to give up so much, who've already given up a great deal. And though it's hard, they've done so willingly. And the only explanation is because they believe Jesus is of more worth. They value him even more. And I want to invite you on that same journey for yourself to discover the unmatched worth of Jesus Christ. I wonder, do you, do you value him above earthly riches? And I recognize that may seem a very strange question. I'd love to speak to you more about that afterwards. But for now, let's leave it at that. Three questions, three trials. Do you know him as God the Savior? Can you own him as friend? And do you value him above all earthly riches? And we're going to come now to the Lord's Supper. And as we do so, I want you to see in what we're about to do together a wonderful reversal of all of those three questions. Do you know him? Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you and welcomes you to the table with him. Do you own him as friend? Jesus calls you his friend. He died for you. And finally, do you value him? Well, he values you. He has set the price of you, your life against his own and was prepared to die for you. So let's come now to join together in remembering his sacrifice for us. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.